listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville, and it's time for the Wednesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Whitewater Naturopathic Medicine, providing preventative medicine and treatments to promote optimal health using therapeutic methods and modalities. Doctors Carolyn and Gregory Weisswasser have been serving Central California since 2004. In Grass Valley, it's whitewaternaturopathic.com. And Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan on the Ridge, offering organic compost tea and soil, bloom and trim supplies, also household goods, 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. Also, we'd like to thank Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. After the NPR headlines and regional weather, I'll be speaking with Taylor Wolf from Nevada County about the stay-at-home situation that's going to be happening starting on Friday. Also, I'll have a conversation with economist Gary Zimmerman about what's happening in the world of economics. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of The Sages Among Us and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The House has overwhelmingly approved a temporary funding measure to avert a government shutdown on Friday. NPR's Claudio Grisales reports the House approved the one-week stopgap measure to buy more time for a larger spending package. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer isn't celebrating this latest move. He's frustrated that it had to happen. It is a function of procrastination, a function of failing to come together and making compromises. That's what this body is about, all these chairs here. We have to come to agreement. The bill now heads to the Senate, which could approve the measure and send it to President Trump for his signature by week's end. Members are still hoping to craft a permanent spending bill that could include coronavirus relief aid, but it remains unclear if Congress can reach a deal on both in time. Claudia Rizales, NPR News, Washington. A critical milestone for Boeing 737 MAX jet today. The troubled plane is back in the air flying passengers again. NPR's David Shaper reports an airline in Brazil used a 737 MAX to fly customers for the first time since March of 2019 when the plane was grounded following twin crashes that killed 346 people. Goal quietly returned the MAX to service with little fanfare. Its announcement did not even mention the route, but flight tracking data show a 737 MAX flew from Sao Paulo to Porto Alegre with no problems reported. Brazil's aviation regulators approved Boeing's fixes to a defective flight control system last month, shortly after similar action by the FAA in the U.S. Because of the intense focus on the plane's design flaws and the lengthy recertification process, FAA Administrator Steve Dixon calls the 737 MAX now the most heavily scrutinized aircraft in history, and he is fully confident it is safe. 
American Airlines will be the first U.S. carrier to resume max flights late this month. David Shaper, NPR News. Canada has now granted authorization for the COVID-19 vaccine made by Pfizer and BioNTech to combat the pandemic in that country. Here's NPR's Joe Palka. In a statement, Health Canada said that the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine met the safety, efficacy and quality requirements for use in Canada. The companies will have to monitor people who get the vaccine to make sure there are no unexpected side effects or health hazards and to be sure it is actually preventing illness. The Canadian decision comes after a similar authorization from regulators in the UK. The Food and Drug Administration is considering granting emergency use authorization for the vaccine in this country and will make a decision after an independent advisory committee meets on Thursday. Joe Palka, NPR News. Despite continued progress on the vaccine front, stocks lost ground today on Wall Street. The Dow was down 105 points. The Nasdaq fell 243 points today. This is NPR. A Wyoming Health Department official who described the coronavirus and the development of a vaccine against it as a communist plot has resigned. Igor Shepard made the remarks at an event in Colorado last month, undermining public health officials' efforts to rein in the spread of the virus. A health Department official confirmed Shepard had submitted his resignation. Shepard could not be reached for comment. The New York State Pension Fund is taking a big step towards more climate-friendly investments. The fund saying it will sell off its investments in oil and gas companies unless those companies have a plan to transition to a low-carbon economy. More from NPR's Camila Dominoski. New York State has about $226 billion invested to cover pensions for government employees. The state wants to use that money as a lever to persuade companies to take action on climate change. It's also worried that companies that don't have a plan to cut emissions will be bad long-term investments. The fund has already removed coal investments from its portfolio. Now it's assessing oil and gas companies and says it's willing to divest or sell off stock in companies that don't have a plan for cutting carbon. Oil and gas companies have been underperforming on the stock market even before the pandemic sent the industry into crisis mode. Camila Dominoski, NPR News. More than a month after the presidential election, YouTube now says it will begin pulling down newly uploaded material claiming widespread voter fraud, a charge that's been made repeatedly by President Trump and his surrogates without evidence to back up the claim. YouTube has gotten some backlash for not doing more to prevent misinformation from spreading online. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And taking a look at the weather, first here in the Grass Valley, Nevada city area, Looks like we'll have a low of 48 tonight, high of 58 tomorrow, Sunday tomorrow, rain rolling in finally on Friday around 4 p.m., lasting off and on through next week. Heaviest rain will be Friday through Sunday this weekend, maybe 3 to 4 inches. In Sacramento, low of 37, high of 65, partly cloudy through Friday with rain this weekend, partly cloudy next week with highs in the low 60s. And in Truckee, low of 18 tonight, high of 49 tomorrow, partly cloudy Thursday and Friday with rain and snow this weekend. I'm speaking with uh, Taylor Wolf, uh, communications person with Nevada County. And Taylor, we talked yesterday and we did mention the fact that we could likely 
go into a stay-at-home order at any time. And it looks like it happened sooner rather than later. Uh, Tell us about the current situation. Yes, thank you, Paul, for inviting me to come back on and give this important update today. You know, I think as we've all learned, whether we like it or not, um, changes happen quickly this year as we're living through a pandemic. So, uh, yes, today we we did hear from the state that our greater Sacramento region's ICU capacity has dropped to 14.3%. So that puts us below the 15% threshold that the state had had for moving into a regional stay-at-home order. As we talked about yesterday, um, we do have a little bit of time before we actually are in a stay-at-home order. So that will be to the exact 11.59 p.m. Thursday. So you have 24 hours, um, a little bit more than after it's announced by the state. So basically, as of Friday, uh, we will be in a stay-at-home order. And what this means is that First and foremost, gatherings of any size are prohibited. Um, You know, from public health, we've seen an alarming increase in COVID cases, in hospitalizations, and even this week, um, you know, seeing more and more deaths in our community as well. We've had eight additional Nevada County residents that have died of COVID-19 in this past week, um, mostly uh, elderly residents. But again, this is all backed to protecting those in our community that are the most vulnerable, protecting our essential and healthcare workers and our first responders that are on our front lines. And of course, um, you know, our businesses as well. We all want to see this trend reverse so we can uh, continue to support the business, our businesses in the way that we love. So gatherings, that continues to be a trend here for Nevada County as to where our COVID-19 cases start. And under the stay-at-home order, um, they are prohibited. Uh, Also, bars, wineries, personal care services, and hair salons must close temporarily. However, it is the holiday season, and retail can stay open with a 20% cap on capacity, whereas restaurants, um, moving from the purple tier, which we are currently in, to um, under the stay-at-home order as of Friday, they will only be allowed to do takeout or delivery services only. So even that outdoor dining that we've gotten to do under the purple tier will no longer be available to us. I think also importantly heading into the holiday season and, you know, as we talk about cases coming from gatherings and that they're prohibited at this time, um, you know, non-essential travel is something under this stay-at-home order that the state pulls out as well. People should not be traveling unless it's essential for work. That also means our hotels and Airbnb should only be hosting people who are doing essential travel. And again, as hard as it is through the holiday season um, to protect our community, to help get back and supporting our businesses in a way that we were earlier in the summer and while we were in the orange tier, um, we really ask people to try to refrain from gatherings Think of those creative solutions to connect in other ways. And, of course, um, you know, we're lucky enough in Nevada County to live in a beautiful area with ample opportunities to get outside. So uh, getting out and recreating locally with members of your household is highly encouraged as well as we move into the stay-at-home order on Sunday, on Friday. 
So uh, this is very much like the very first uh, shutdown that we had when the COVID really hit at the beginning, pretty much, isn't it? It's pretty close to the same thing. It has a lot of similarities to the the shutdown or stay-at-home order that came at the beginning of the pandemic in March, um, but there are some differences. For example, schools that already have mitigations in place um, to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and were already open under the tier system, they are allowed to stay open. Uh, Critical infrastructure, much like the last order, is allowed to stay open as well. And then retail, again, is unique, whereas before, um, you know, a lot of retailers were having to shift to that online only uh, really, really quickly, whereas under this current stay-at-home order that will be moving into Friday, they'll be able to remain open just with a little bit less capacity that we, than we have had recently. So uh, I, I mean, this is a regional uh, situation. Uh, it doesn't necessarily reflect the capacities of our hospital up here specifically, but it's more like the combination of Nevada, Placer, Yuba County, or something like that. So I guess that has to do with if people get sick, they need to go somewhere, and, and um, if there's nothing close by, then we're in big trouble. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, so our hospital system, it is interconnected with those down the hill from us in Sacramento and other nearby areas. Um, you know, just looking at our local hospital capacity and ICU capacity, I'm looking at the state's dashboard on their covid19.ca.gov website right now. It is currently telling me that we have 14 COVID-19 hospitalized patients, um, five that are in the ICU, but only four ICU beds available in Nevada County. So even though this does have to do with that regional interconnectivity, I think it is important to for people to realize that Nevada County um, is not unique in the trends that we're seeing. We're still seeing the impacts here, um, not only in our hospitalizations, we're seeing our local deaths increase, and we're seeing really an extreme increase in cases here locally. So it's absolutely the time to um, really be extra diligent, refrain from those gatherings, and stay at home. Well, uh, can we can we close with some good news? It looks like it's going to rain this week. <laughs> It is going to rain this weekend. Yeah, we're keeping our fingers crossed after we almost had a PSPS last weekend. Um, But we escaped that. We didn't end up having one after all. Um, But other good news, too, I would just say, you know, the holiday season, time and time again, we see our community step up to the plate um, to come together through these times. I know the Relief Fund is doing fundraising. Um, You know, both of our local cities are – providing really cool COVID safe opportunities to maybe support those downtown retail shops in a safe way. Um, So just encouraging everyone to, you know, do everything you can to celebrate the holiday season safely. Enjoy the outdoors when we get great weather. weather. We're so lucky to live where we do. And yes, that rain will be great. Um, Hopefully let us not have any more PSPSs in 2020. Uh, just uh, very quickly, how can people find out uh, the details about this? So if you want to find more information about coronavirus in Nevada County, please go to mynevadacounty.com slash coronavirus, or people can speak with a local call center representative 
at 211 Connecting Point by calling 1-833-DIAL-211. And if you want to do a deep dive into the regional stay-at-home order that we're moving into Friday, the best place to go for information is covid19.ca.gov. Taylor Wolf, thank you so much uh, for speaking with KVMR. And uh, we're here whenever you need to get some information out to the public. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. It's time for economic news with KVMR's resident economist, Gary Zimmerman. Well, hi, Gary. Welcome to KVMR. Fed leadership was in the news again this week. Last week, it was former Fed Chair Janet Yellen being nominated to be U.S. Treasury Secretary. This week, it was the very close vote for a new Federal Reserve Board member, Christopher Waller. He's currently at the St. Louis Fed. Uh, tell us about this. Hi, Paul. Um, thanks to have be back and uh, good to be on KVMR. Yes, the president was able to get one of his two Fed nominees from last year confirmed by the Senate. Christopher Waller, who is the economic research director at the Federal Reserve Bank in St. Louis. And you know, in that position, Waller was the chief economic advisor to the president of the St. Louis Fed, the policymaker. And um, you know, Waller was head of the economic research department. So it's an important position and a job that's given him lots of experience in analyzing economic conditions and making monetary policy decisions. Well, well, Gary, uh, Fed leadership has been in the news in the last month as well with uh, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jay Powell supporting Congress taking steps to address the end of many of the COVID release programs that have been helping the economy recover from the 2020 impacts of COVID-19. Tell us about this. Well, Paul, the uh, Fed Chair Powell has made it clear that the Fed believes that additional COVID relief is necessary. You know, as as much of the relief package that was authorized in the spring of 2020 expires at the end of this year in the next few weeks. Of course, Powell's not alone. Janet Yellen, the new administration's choice for Treasury Secretary, also is a strong supporter of another or second COVID relief package now that that will support workers, businesses, and, and the overall economy. Well, Gary, what are some of the programs included in the first COVID relief package that was spring of 2020? And how are they similar to programs that are being discussed now, as many of the support programs, I believe, are just about to expire? Yes, Paul, a bunch of them, several of the important ones will expire within the next couple of weeks. So, yes, the programs are similar. The amounts are quite different. The current discussions focus on around $900 billion in support. That's far below the spring 2020 amount of $2.2 trillion in COVID relief. Um, you know, Both are designated or designed to provide critical support for the economy, keep spending going to support businesses and workers. You know, And that's especially important right now as the pandemic surges and as expected to cause you know more economic disruptions you know failure to provide that you know support you know adds some serious financial risks um that uh, we'll have to look at and you know as we look at those these um issues you know the 
the early 2020 COVID relief programs have been a big part of the recovery so far. And as we expect those programs to end, it will call, cause business bankruptcies, it will call, cause evictions, mortgage defaults, business failures, loan problems, you know, lots of economic troubles that will spread, not uh, just in the sectors where they are, but to other sectors of the economy including you know, housing, I think, was in the headlines today. Um, this is another area that could be affected. And so there, and we already know that the economic recovery is slowing. And so, you know, these, that just compounds the, the issues. We've had uh, discussions and debate about the second COVID relief package to replace the first CARES relief package uh, for a while. Uh, relief programs are set to expire in the next few weeks. Uh, are they running out of time to take action? That appears to be the case. So they basically are running out of time. The Congress and the administration need to come up with something now. Uh, so it's important that um, the CARES program part two or uh, other efforts um, are that are going to counteract the serious negative impacts of COVID uh, need to be taking place, you know, basically right now to help the national economy. And as you've pointed out, you know, many of the important programs are expiring at the end of December. And if that happens without them being replaced, that puts an addition, much larger additional strain on the economy. And, you know, at the same time that the economy is, you know, fighting a, an even larger surge than the one we saw earlier in the year. One program that has already expired, that was the $600 weekly unemployment insurance payment. Uh, that expired in July. Um, and that meant that many uh, of the additional 10 plus million unemployed workers have lost a significant source of income. And that, you know, means much less support for consumer spending in the overall economy. You know, um, one of the versions being discussed now would provide a smaller weekly amount of, of support in this area. Um, but, you know, we have to also have to consider that millions of families are behind on their rent and mortgages and car payments and you know, may not be able to eat or buy clothes or you know, lots, lots of other things. Um, another program that is expiring at the end of the month, um, pandemic program provides unemployment insurance payments to over 7 million freelance and gig workers. And, um, you know, so that's a huge number of workers who would lose um, that um, support. Um, and this is, you know, through no fault of their own that they're unemployed. It's you know, pandemic related. Um, there's another program that's expiring the pandemic emergency unemployment insurance. And this is a program that provided extended unemployment insurance benefits in an additional 13 weeks um, beyond the usual 26 weeks that um, unemployed workers get from state programs. Um, and that, you know, again, would also go away. So, you know, that would impact over 4 million workers. So just these two programs alone, we're talking about, you know, 11 million workers who would you know, be losing their um, <laughs> perhaps only source of income. And, you know, we'll consider the economic situation today. We still have over 10 million lost payroll jobs. Um, we have a huge number of um, you know, maybe close to 20 million people who are collecting some form of unemployment insurance, maybe 5 million who've dropped out of the labor force completely. 
Um, new weekly unemployment insurance claims remain very high, over 700 million in the last week, far above you know, pre-pandemic record levels. The unemployment rate, um, you know, people who've been unemployed for 27 weeks or more, long-term unemployed, that's almost 37% of the unemployed. That's huge. Um, the unemployment rate is down to 6.7%, but that's still nearly double the pre-pandemic rate. Um, we've got about 4 million workers who've permanently lost their jobs. Um, and then, you know, the number of new jobs that were added last month, you know, at, was under 250,000. So that's, you know, the lowest in, in, during the recovery. So again, just all those signs are pointing towards slowing. Okay, Gary. Now, what is likely to happen if these programs expire and a new uh, relief package is not adopted? Beyond the millions of workers and businesses that are directly affected, how might failure by the federal government to provide this relief now damage the overall economy? Or will it actually do that? Oh, yes, Paul. Damage it will. Um, failure to continue to support the unemployed, that's just, you know, again, we've talked about that. That's, you know, 10 or 11 million workers, um, you know, over 22 million workers had lost their job in the spring and about only about half of those have added back. So millions of workers can't spend what they don't have and millions are already behind on rent and mortgages. A month or two without COVID relief support, without income um, or jobs, you know, <laughs> hurts everyone. You know, they're evicted, they lose their jobs. Um, we're, we're just looking at you know, major disasters here. You know, families going from behind in payments to evictions is a very severe, serious step. Uh, businesses that are struggling will go <laughs> into failure, you know, and that'll push up the unemployment rate. Banks and lenders will be affected. Um, credit quality deteriorates. The housing market will be affected. You know, you know we, we essentially we're looking at creating a major downward spiral in the economy. The fallen government support reduces, you know, consumer spending, and the reduced consumer spending in the economy lowers, you know, business sales and business slows down. That leads to more layoffs and job losses, more reductions in consumer spending, follow, falling sales, more layoffs. You just basically get this downward economic spiral into a serious recession, and that's not where we want to be going. Um, no, we don't want to go there. But Okay, here's my final question, Gary, for today. Uh, we do have um, a new administration coming in. And it sounds like you think the economy needs this round of COVID relief right now. Would it be possible to wait on the new administration for what possibly may be a better, um, a better program? But what's your view on that? Uh, no, the economy won't wait. Um, now is the time. These workers and families and businesses, including many in California, many in Nevada County or Foothills, are, are already economically just stressed. Um, nationally, you know, a month or two without support likely would push millions over the cliff uh, to evictions, more job losses. Um, and that just makes it much, much harder to turn the economy around when people have lost their jobs, lost their homes. Um, so, you know, calls for spending to support 
you know, consumer spending, and, and now is the time to fight the COVID-19, you know, much like it was important to do that early in the year. Um, you know, and you can do it with unemployment insurance extensions. That that helps, and so it's important to renew those programs. Uh, maybe checks to families, like the $1,200 checks that earlier in the year helped prop up spending and keep businesses open and workers working. You know, there are some current discussions that you know talk about a perhaps a $600 check in that in that range you know support for businesses small businesses in general and, and industries that are especially hard hit you know again you don't want more of them to, to fail than already have um, you know and then you also have you know there's some contentious issues one of them being state and local governments they've been hard hit by COVID they have huge reductions in tax revenues because of COVID and the slowing economy at the same time they've gotten much bigger demands for safety net spending because of COVID and, and the weaker economy. Um, you know, so without support there, we'd expect also to see a large round of state and low and even larger than the 1.4 million in state and local workers who've already been laid off. So all of those things just, you know, make it really imperative that the action is taken now. Um, you need to do it. You need to do this now before these programs expire. It would be a couple of months likely without support, um, you know, for millions of workers, huge share of the labor force. Um, it's just a, it's a train wreck if, if it's not done and not done now. It's kind of like stopping the bleeding, but not necessarily a cure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Greatly appreciate it. Okay, take care. Thank you, Paul. Well, that's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's evening news airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Special thanks today to Gary Zimmerman and Taylor Wolf. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, you can go to our website at kvmr.org where you can download audio or listen on demand. Coming up next, we have this week's edition of The Sages Among Us and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For KVMR Radio, we'd like to thank you for listening.